yo, yo, what up? It's your boy, Colby Mack, and this is the Colby Told Me Podcast. Yo, whenever I want to deep dive with the Mac himself, where I get to amplify my movie reviews for your listening pleasure, and it's brought to you by the 4th District Podcast Network, would you consider giving your boy a follow? I'm on all the socials, at Kobe Told Me on Twitter and Instagram, and Kobe Mac on Facebook. Welcome, welcome, welcome back, everybody. This is episode 19, the many movie edition. It's another epic week and the dopest of weeks in the books. The 2019 Kobe Told Me movie count is now at 89 movies at the theater this year as of August the 22nd. And a bunch more to go. More and more, August and I guess January, but definitely August. Man, it really is the dump of the summer season. I mean, summer flew by. Obviously, I was out the country for three weeks and then schools already started up and I guess everybody's starting to be able to feel it. It's weird. Growing up in New York, I'm so used to Memorial Day, the beginning of summer, kind of the winding down of the school year, but Labor Day being like the official end of summer and that's when you went back to school, but I don't know what's happened, man. Didn't kids used to get three months off from school? Now it's like two two and a half if that it's whack and you know it's whack when you get ready to be able to chart out your movie watching week and you're like whoa it's not just one release it's like five six seven every week so these past couple weeks have been crazy so it's a lot of stuff to be able to get to i mean i saw where'd you go burn a dead blinded by the light angry birds 2 good boys 47 meters down i'll get to that later um i caught sex tuplets on netflix yo i think it's It's really cool how Netflix has become so unique of a company. Like sometimes you'll know of a film's release weeks in advance. You have a general idea of when it's coming a couple months in advance, but pretty much I think for most people, you just turn on Netflix like, oh, this is here. (laughs) And there was a Marlon Wayans movie that, it's a movie. (laughs) I'll talk about a little bit later. And I took it in. And I still found time to be able to watch some stuff on TV. I'm excited for my network TV shows to uh, come back on. And I'll give a couple of new shows a try in the fall season. Network TV is pretty much like the family time TV. So I watched something with the Mini Mac. I watched something with the Mrs. Mac. And I did put her on to Into the Badlands. Um, I'm not too sure if you guys are familiar with it. But it's like this post-apocalyptic kung fu wire work action adventure show. And it's a lot of fun. Um, it's got some really cool characters. And my wife was into, um, you know, that series uh, on Cinemax, Warrior, um, loosely kind of based off of like Bruce Lee stories and stuff like that. So she was looking for something similar. And I was like, yo, I remember I watched the first season of Into the Badlands. It was a lot of fun. And just my crazy schedule, I kind of lost track of it. And I think it's like four seasons in. So we started binging that. We're in the middle of season two. And she's hooked. And I've gotten hooked onto Euphoria. Now, I recognize a couple things. I know that Euphoria is an amazing show. Like, I I will say that it is definitely one of the top shows of 2019. It's actually probably one of the top high school teen drama series that I've ever seen. But as a parent, it's a motherfucking nightmare. Like, it is the scariest thing that I can imagine that I'd have to deal with with a little girl now. Currently, the Mini Max, she's seven years old and she's the apple of my eye. And I get it. I don't want to come off sounding like some old man because we went through the same thing when we were kids. I'm an 80s baby, but I'm a 90s kid. And 
the stuff that we got into, the stuff that I was trying to do, it pales in comparison to what these kids are doing. I mean, technology is scary. And like, we were trying to get some pot, drink a little bit, get a little bit. Like, I think at 14 years old, these kids are like pros. I'm talking like Coke, Molly, like drugs I've never heard of. Drinking is like second nature and sex. And it's super easy. The girls nowadays, they used to have to work hard for it as a dude. And I'm not trying to be that guy. I, I get it. I get it. But I will say, aside from those hard elements that are difficult for me to digest as a parent, the show is phenomenal. I'm currently at episode five and like these characters are written amazingly well. I've never cared for and hated and just been clueless about a jock in my life. Like the character of Nate is one of the most well-written jocks in TV history. It is so intriguing and, you know, Zendaya's performance is great. The cinematography in this show is stylized and it's really unique and the score is hypnotic. I've been listening to it on Spotify all the time. Like this show is so good and it's really hard to watch sometimes. And I mean, I will say, I mean, I don't mind. It's, it's weird. Like in other shows, like I watch Game of Thrones all day long, but like when I see naked teens, it, 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 I guess it hits a little close as a parent and there are so many dicks in this series more dicks than I ever want to see so I'll be um, I'm, I'm excited to do a full series recap I know me and the crew at the Minority Support Podcast we're going to get into it next week and I'll keep you guys posted on the socials of where to be able to find it but yeah I can't wait to finish it and if you guys are watching let me know uh, your thoughts on it um, and also let me know your thoughts on some of the other work that your boy's been doing this week Major shout out to JD and Brendan at the In Session Film Podcast. Um, they let me show up on the pod and I guested on episode 339. We got into a Where'd You Go Bernadette review and that kind of inspired a top three Kate Blanchett scenes. Um, I've been a big fan of their podcast since I started my journey and it's great to be able to collab with them and I really thank them for the opportunity to be able to talk and I look forward to doing it again in the future. So make sure to check them out. Once again, they're at Twitter at In Session Film, and you can listen to that podcast and let us know what you think. Um, and in addition to Where'd You Go Bernadette that I was at with In Session Film, I was able to graciously step up to the plate and I helped out my dude Nick and Loisauce. They're the Epic Film Guys podcast. You can follow them at the Epic Film Guys on Twitter. I guessed it on their episode. That's episode 206, where we got into a review of Good Boys and Blinded by the Light. It was a really good time, man, just kicking back, shooting the shit, drinking, and it was fun. And it's stuff like this that really makes my movie journey so worth it. Um, anybody who is inspired to try to just take a deep dive, um, I'm really thankful that 2019, it's been an amazing year of growth, and it's so inspiring when you see the fruits of your labor just kind of, you know, start bearing themselves right in front of you. And this is a, a moment like this that just really makes it awesome. So please go ahead and check out that episode. Once again, that's episode 206, getting into good boys and blotted by the light with my dudes at the Epic Film Guys podcast. And another special shout out to Kevin Brackett. He's at Kevin R. Brackett. He's the co-host of the Real Spoilers podcast. And I just got a single out of moment on this where this dude has just been amazing. He was one of the first people that um, extended a follow back when I began my journey. And I've just really kind of modeled a lot of the way that I engage with a lot of folks on Twitter and interacting on social media, you know, just based on how he is, his decorum. And he's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. 
I had this close of a chance to meet him in person. We ended up being inside of Orlando International Airport, like probably like a hundred yards away, but just couldn't make it happen because of TSA and it sucks, but that's my homie. Bro, you're super inspiring. I thank you so much for just being a good modeling character of being a father in this movie review game and um, just always having something amazing to say, being supportive and um, you know just being somebody to kind of look up to. And I thank you, I thank you very much. Well, that's enough of like the, the soggy shit. <laughs> nah, make sure to give my boy a follow at Kevin R. Brackett. And of course, follow the Real Spoilers podcast. But I usually get into the box office, but there was some major Hollywood news that dropped. And I'd be remiss if I just decided not to give up a bulk of what I wanted to talk about real quick and get into it. If you haven't heard, which I think is crazy, this is big beef between Disney and Sony. It's over Spider-Man and the current deal and at this point, there's a question, will Spider-Man leave the MCU? If you're unfamiliar, the current deal kind of works out where, of course, Sony owns the film rights to Spider-Man, has been for a very long time, and there's conditions of that ownership that requires a film to be in production at least every five years. If not, the rights can revert back to Disney. That partnership kind of got extended a little bit when uh, Sony was gonna loan out Spider-Man for the MCU to be able to use in several of their films. Of course, he made his first appearance in uh, Captain America Civil War. He also made an appearance inside of Avengers Infinity War. Got his own film, which is a Sony-produced film, excuse me, Sony-financed film, Marvel produced, and uh, Disney would get five, the first 5% gross profits back. It, it's a lot of Google, all right? Currently, the deal is set to expire. I believe there's like maybe one left, or maybe it's just not there at all, and... I can understand that with Spider-Man's success inside the MCU, Disney wants to come to the table and say, yo, we want to get a little bit more money. I'd say just buy Spider-Man. Like, that's what you really want to do. Just do it. But they want to be able to get a little bit more money. That's fair. The recent film, Spider-Man Far From Home, while I didn't love it, is that a six out of 10 that you boys? Check out that episode, Spider-Man Far From Home episode. It is worth it to say that since it made $1.2 billion, Disney will come back and say, you know what, let's get a little bit bigger piece of the pie. We did produce this, and um, not only is it a financial hit, it's a critical hit. But Sony still owns the rights to this character. So at this point, we're left with the question, what happened? Well, Disney was asking for a, reportedly 50%. Now, it doesn't mean that they were just asking for 50 cents of the box office. They also wanted to go in halfsies for production cost. So Spider-Man Far From Home, let's say it costs $200 million. Sony puts up 100. Marvel MCU puts up 100. They split the profits 50-50. Now that seems fair. Like like in just layman's, like that would seem like it's all right. However, Sony owns Spider-Man. So like, I own a house. Imagine if I went to my next door neighbor and I was like, yo, I like your house. I feel like your house could be better. And I know that you're trying to like, we're not really trying to sell it. But like, what if I propose an idea, right? Where we put $100,000 into renovating your house. You own it. I'm gonna give you 50 grand for renovation costs. You put in 50 grand, and then we're gonna list your house for X amount of dollars, and we can just split it all. Well, that doesn't really seem fair when my next door neighbor is the one that owns the house. Now, if you want the cost, Disney, pay up and offer Sony to be able to buy Spider-Man straight up. Now, I think it's honestly worth a lot of money but to ask for 50 percent and you don't own the character get the fuck out of here nah <laughs> not gonna be able to do it 
<laughs> but good try. And, and you know, you know what they always say: you shoot for the stars and land on the moon. So maybe you, you know, throw out a high number and want to fall somewhere like thirty or thirty-five or twenty percent or something like that. Um, apparently, both sides, the deal kind of got squashed, and it's it makes it seem as if it's a done deal that Sony's going to go ahead and kind of just take them back completely and end the sharing of them. For a lot of people, they got real butt hurt. I mean, yeah, I feel bad for change.org because I know it was never their intention to have this platform be used as like a bullying tactic or space for like toxic fandom. But that's exactly what happened. People are saying, yo, Sony, you're so stupid. Your films are garbage. Let, let, let Disney have Spider-Man and do the Spider-Man movies the way that we want. This is the one thing, film Twitter and social media. The way that you want it, you don't represent the general audiences. I think that the track history, which some people have tried to point out that is poor on Sony's side, I'm hashtag Team Sony. Now, we had the first Spider-Man, the Raimi films. Two out of those three films were very good. Spider-Man 2, for the longest time, was considered one of the greatest superhero movies ever. And they all made money, even number three. There were some questionable choices in number three, but hey, it still made money. And at the time, it wasn't really that bad. It got progressively worse over time, so it didn't age well. And then there's a break, and then you had Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone with, you know, with their version of Spider-Man. So the amazing Spider-Man films, not as great as the Raimi films. The first one I actually didn't mind it at all. I really like Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man, not so much as Peter Parker, but they both still made money. So let's just say one out of those two films were good. Then you got Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which was my number one A favorite movie of last year it came out of nowhere it was not supposed to be good at all and it was y'all like the story was strong and it introduced all these amazing characters in this fantastic way and i really enjoyed the animation style the voice cast and it was a great script it was funny it was action-packed it exceeded my expectations i gave it a 10 out of 10 and not to mention a couple months before we had venom venom with tom hardy and michelle williams and Riz Ahmed, and it was gonna have no Spider-Man, and it wasn't supposed to work, and it made 850 plus million dollars at the box office. Now, you'll say, yo, Kobe, hold on, hold on. Box office doesn't mean it was a success. I don't care how Sony spends the money and how much they end up making and stuff like that, but what it does tell me is that who is going to watch these films and how long are they watching it for? They didn't make that money just off the first weekend. They made it because people kept going back to it. So if you take about the movies, that, and keep in mind, I've given you nothing in regards to what Marvel has produced itself. Spider-Man Far From Home, Spider-Man Homecoming. In the last three non-Marvel-involved Spider-Man properties, Amazing 1 and 2 and Venom, it's $2.2 billion at the box office. You say what you want about Sony. They're obviously doing something right, so I don't blame them. If they're like, you know what? We're not going to be bullied by Disney. And I think it's funny how people pick and choose their outrage over Disney. They get pissed off that they, you know, bought Fox and they caused people to lose their jobs and stuff like that. They want more original properties, but they want them to buy. Come on, man. And to be honest with you, it could all be for naught. Disney will probably find a way to be able to get what they want. Because don't they always? So I say all that to say, don't be too outraged. Let's wait for everything to call down. They're doing all this very publicly in the trades and it's probably to, you know, angle for, you know, to save face on one side or the other. Me purposely, I think it'd be cool if Spider-Man would leave the MCU and we could be able to have 
a Spider-Man. Maybe it's a little bit more closer to what I grew up with. But you notice we all, it's all about what we want, what we want. Ultimately, it's about what the story calls for. And while I don't mind my Spider-Man MCU, more like Iron Boy, but it's been cool. I've had fun with it. But I think I'm ready for a new iteration. They can do some amazingly wild things. Actually, I got something I'm going to put out. And I'm really hoping that it, it kind of opens up the ideas of, wow, where we could be able to take this. I'll tell you right. I'll put it on wax, okay? If Sony had the balls enough to say, you know what? We are completely taking Spider-Man out of the MCU. We ain't playing with you no more, Disney. And the next movie was going to be like a Spider-Verse-esque super Spider-Man movie. And it had... Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland and Tobey Maguire and Shameik Moore and everybody, Chris Pine. If it had all these Spider-Men in live action, you like what I did? Live action, the M-A-X-T-I-N, <laughs> live action. If they had a super Spider-Man movie, it would rival Avengers Endgame as the biggest box office movie of all time. Done. So, chill out. Let's take a look and see what's up. And while we are chilling out, let's kind of pay attention and keep your eyes, you know, buckled up and your ears ready to listen to a few of what I got into last week. I hope you guys enjoyed these reviews. I'll see you on the other side. snagging the award from Hellboy for the absolute worst movie of 2019. 47 and whatever the fuck the rest of your name is, just step right up and hold this L. You, you movie, you. I, I can't remember a film with this many boring pretty people in it all at the same time. Like, this is weirdly cast and it's a complete mess of a movie and it delivers everything that you'd expect from the worst of the year. It's got the worst acting, a script that's so on the nose it makes those Sharknado movies somewhat passable, and it's got super weak direction. Not every film, and I've mentioned this before plenty of times in other pods past, not every movie's got to say something. But I didn't see the first movie, but I've heard that it wasn't that bad. Now, I don't know the timeline. I remember watching The Shallows with Blake Lively, and I was like, yo, that was a well-done shark movie. Like, it had great pacing, it had great suspense, it had great kills, and it was a very engaging character. Now, I get that inherent with the genre, it's hard to try to do too much. I'm not expecting 47 meters and whatever your name is to win an Academy Award. But if you can't deliver on the script, you gotta give me good-looking sharks, great deaths, and engaging characters. And on the level of engagement, it's gotta be, like, passable. These are complete fails across the board like aside from the absurd plot which revolves around evolved great white sharks underwater inside of caves underneath mayan ruins it's got some of the worst plot armor i've ever seen inside of a creature feature like i, I understand that if you've got your protagonist you can't kill him off super duper early but it's gotta be believable like at least like in crawl you know you had your lead character getting tore up 
and you're just like, there's no way. Come on. Sharks are smarter than this. They're some of the dumbest animals in the entire animal kingdom, but like, come on. <laughs> it was really, really bad. It, like, it's probably the worst movie plot armor ever. And like, why the hell does John Corbett keep getting work? Just stop, dude. Like, you weren't even good enough for Carrie. And who the hell does this movie think it is that it can just start biting scenes from some of like the other iconic films of this genre? Like, literally, and I'll spoil this for you, it does something that Deep Blue Sea did. Can you think of what that was? So you take your garbage CGI, your garbage CGI sharks, and you kick rocks. And don't ever attempt this again. 47 meters down, the worst in everything. Worst of 2019 so far. And don't get me wrong, like, yo, I don't mind bad movies, but there's gotta be some redeemable elements in it. Like, inside of Sex Tuplets with Marlon Wayans. Yo, I grew up with the Wayans family as the cornerstone of what comedy meant to me and how I became a performer. Keenan Ivory Wayans with The Living Cover. Keenan Ivory Wayans with I'm Gonna Get You Sucker. Damon Wayans. Yo, Damon Wayans probably like means the most to me, man. Like for real, for real. Like he's just he 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 ah I miss you, man. Miss you, brother. Sean and Marlon, the Wayne's brother show. Like it yo, they, like they are I swear if I had a big family, I want them to be just like that. So it was unique for me to try to figure out how do I critique a movie like what Sex Tuplets is? Like is it even fair to critique it? Because I don't know if it ever necessarily tries to be objectively good. I don't think that's the goal of why Netflix signed them. I think with the goal of why Netflix signed Marlon Wayans, I mean, if you saw Naked, for example. Now, I like Naked more than I like Sex Tuplets, but Sex Tuplets was an idea to be able to put Marlon Wayans in heavy makeup a la Nutty Professor with Eddie Murphy a la, you know, Martin Lawrence inside of Big Mama's house. I think... A lot of these great comedians take a turn on giving that a shot. I mean, they work with the clumps, so why not with Marlon Wayans? And I will say, yo, the prosthetics and the makeup, it looks really, really good. Now, the story is absurd. And there's nothing wrong with absurdist humor, but the thing is, like, when it comes to comedy, it is very much subjective. Not everybody's brand of comedy is going to be satisfied with this film. But there's definitely an audience with it, and I will say... Even though I'm not in love with the script and the story's kind of weak, there are some somewhat engaging characters. So that kept me invested in. There's a lot of things that it didn't do well. There's a lot of jokes that ran a little bit too long. And like I said, the brand of humor, I prefer something a little bit different, but I get it. And I think it's because I knew what I was getting going into. And if you don't know what you're getting going into it, trying to watch a Netflix movie with Marlon Wayans, I don't know what you're doing. So I think it's satisfied the audience it was looking for and I think that that's important like I also don't know if I was the audience for where'd you go Bernadette but I think that's okay so while I'm unfamiliar with the book I yo I haven't read a book since like middle school I'm, I'm not a book guy you give me a screenplay I'll read the shit out of it so I'm not familiar with the book but what I was familiar with was the trailer that came out a really long time ago. That first trailer was like, it really intrigued me. Like one, it's got Kate Blanchett. She's been top five for me for like 20 years, right? 
And there was a tone inside the trailer that, like, I thought I was getting, like, a Gone Girl movie. And then a few months later, I got the second trailer. I was like, oh, where'd the tone go? <laughs> we got, like, Eat, Pray, Love slash Under the Tuscan Sun. I don't know what to make of this movie. And it got delayed. But it's Richard Linklater. I'm not the biggest fan of him, but he's a respected name in the game. Somebody give it a shot. This movie was, like, a nice, unique little family dramedy. You know, it's, it's big on plot. And it's really playful with Kate's performance, which is really great. And as an actor, that that's what that's what feeds me. So while there were a lot of things that happened inside this movie that will be hard for me to connect to, where I do connect to it is the the loss of when you you lose passion in your life for whatever that is, right? And and how it either changes you for the better or for the worse. And how if it's for the worse, how you save yourself from it. So I've been there. I've been in a dark place where I've been super passionate about something and it was driving me and then I lost it. And the way to get it back was very different than the, you know, the way that Kate's character does in this movie, but it's all right. Like this is like a throwback to 90s films that are kind of really big on plot and it seems like wow, that's crazy how like how that all came together. Now, this movie is maybe like not as entertaining as what I wanted it to be, but I still like it, but it's not like bad entertaining. Like the themes, though, they are strong. And the performances, they're even stronger. Like, you like you got Kate Blanchett, and she is having so much fun. She's a glorious mess. She's a functioning pill popper who's crippled creatively. She's disturbingly antisocial. And she's a self-proclaimed menace to society in Seattle. But the thing is, she's a loving mom. She's got a really strong relationship between herself and her daughter, and even her husband. However, the lack of a creative drive in her life is really spiraling out of control and she's completely unaware of it. And it ultimately ends up taking her into a very odd place in this journey that she ends up going on. Hence the title, Where'd You Go Burn a Debt? And it's not so much where you go burn a debt as what I was looking for in the mystery of the film. Like, where did she physically go? But I think where'd you go on like a personal journey or emotional journey inside of your mind, the mental. And for that, I really did enjoy it. And I think it's cool like how your passions like they shape you. Like we all agree your passions really or like art it can do the same thing. I think we've universally accepted that like art like for me acting and storytelling and creating or or music for a lot of people or even a musician it speaks to you it inspires you. So the question is like how do you respond? Do you have something to say? Blinded by the Light had a lot to say. Like, it presents universal themes in these sometimes fantastical ways. It's kind of part movie, part music video, and it starts out a little bit slow, but when Bruce Springsteen comes in and he's introduced into the film, that's when the movie takes off and it never loses steam. I mean, essentially, you have a young man, a young Pakistani teenager inside of 1987 Luton, England, which I'm completely unfamiliar with, he's in a time of his life where he doesn't have his own voice because so much of his religion, the way that his family operates culturally, and also inside of a turbulent time where there was a lot of racial angst, it was tough for him to be able to try to cultivate that. And a friend from school introduces him to the boss and it changes his life. And at first, you have a young man who is gravitating to these words that seem so similar to his life experiences. It ends up changing him in a way where he can now find a voice. 
and it's really cool. It's a really strong movie. And Vivek Kalra, who plays the lead, Javid, this is his big screen debut, and like he's really good. He's composed. He's charismatic. And the thing is, in this movie, music is very subjective on a whole, right? Like. If you're not into Bruce Springsteen, you may not be able to connect to this film. And, and while the connecting point can be different for some of the audience to kind of invest into the narrative, the narrative, the the familial drama that's at work in this movie is where it shines the best. Like the relationship between Javid and his father is really unique. And I think a lot of us have either seen that or experienced that for ourselves. And the tone, I will say in the film, can sometimes be a little bit questionable. In regards to like the direction of where it goes, I really wish it would kind of make up its mind if it's leaning towards a more fantastic or not. I, I, if this would have taken the route of what Rocket Man was, I think this movie would be even more successful than what it is. But as I mentioned in the box office earlier, ain't nobody went to see this movie. So yeah, the marketing was really questionable there. But hey, if it is still around, your boy recommends for you to be able to go out and see it. I think it's... This film wears its heart on its sleeve. It's a feel-good celebration of family and of music and the power of its words. And give me more Haley Atwell. Put her on more, more movies, please. Yo, she is a dynamo. Like, even the little small teacher role that she had in this, every time that she was on screen, you just can't take your eyes off her. And it's not because she's beautiful. It's just because she brings something. She's got this gravitas and the way that she delivers lines and, like, just this intense connection that she makes in her eyes when she's speaking to anybody that's around her. So yeah, it was a big surprise for me. And I enjoyed Blather by the Light very much. Yo, another big surprise was Angry Birds 2. Did we all watch the first one? Were you one of those people that said it was a bad movie? Well, I think you're wrong. I actually didn't mind the first one. Now granted, at the time I had a five or six year old, but it was fine. Like, it's a kid's movie. Now, we would ultimately hope that some kids' movies offer something for kids as well as parents, but ultimately it's 90 minutes to be able to keep a kid inside the movie theater to try to get their attention. And I think the Angry Birds first one did that, but I will say, this did it better. Like, it's certainly a step up from like with this sequel, and I think it's equal parts appropriate for kids and adults, and I think it's because the comedy knows more of what it's going for. So, like, this movie, it's flat out funny. There's a strong A and B stories, and the good thing is, it never detracts from one another. So like with Secret Life of Pets 2, that sequel didn't work because one, there was too much stuff going on and it played more like a car, like a 30-minute cartoon where you have these different side stories and never work together. In this, you have multiple stories that are going on, but they work together and they complement each other because the editing is so strong. And it's cool that with the sequel, the world gets bigger and you don't feel lost like maybe how you may have in the first one. And if you're a fan of the mobile game, you'll you'll get some callbacks to like some of the cool, quirky stuff that made the mobile game so much fun and why it was successful. And then if you're a movie lover, yo, you get a ridiculously big cast. You got Jason Sudeikis, Josh Gad, Leslie Jones, Bill Hader, Rachel Bloom, Aquafina, Stoli K. Brown, Tiffany Haddish, Danny McBride, Eugenio Derbez. <gasps> and they've all worked together really great. They've got great timing and the entire film is on point and a script that employs great comedic time and once again it's it's not afraid to have fun and the cherry on top pun fully intended shout out to matthew a cherry he he puts in an emotionally powerful and gorgeously animated short film called hair love at the beginning of it and i gotta be honest with you 
as a black dad with a mixed kid. The hair is the biggest, well, next to euphoria. My daughter's hair is a challenge and it is scary for me. But this movie really helps you out kind of quell that. And it's really delightful. And to be honest with you, it's worth the price of admission by itself. It's a really special treat at the beginning of the movie. And you should really go out and be able to check it out. I see a very good Oscar animated short, at the very least nomination, if not win, for that film. Now, what are the Oscar chances for Good Boys? You know, the Seth Rogen produced kind of what I like to call spiritual little brother to Superbad. Now, Good Boys, it may not be as raunchy as Superbad. It is definitely still raunchy. And it's not as clever as Booksmart. But it's definitely something of its own. And it is really funny. It's actually more funny than it is not. And it's got a lot of heart where it counts, too. And I think that's where the big surprise is. I mean, the strength of Good Boys, aside from the crass humor and seeing, you know, 12-year-olds cuss, is these kids. Like, you've got... Jacob Tremblay, he plays Max. You got Brady Noon, who plays Thor. And then you got Keith L. Williams. I should probably figure out who he plays, but he plays somebody. Lloyd? Lloyd? Yeah, that who he plays? Yeah, one of them, right? Yeah. It's really... <laughs> the thing is, the kids is what's so good. Like, they are... They're amazing. Lucas. I know it's something with L, right? Like, the trio of them... Like, beanbag boys for life. I want to be a beanbag boy. I really, They should put that in the market. I want to be an honorary beanbag boy. Like, they're so much fun. And I think what makes it fun is the situations they're put in and they're completely unaware of it. And that's what's cute. Like, I've never seen 12-year-olds so completely unaware of sex toys and it happens so much. Like, Thor's parents are like certified deviant freaks. And like, this is the type of comedy that it's strong. And there's definitely some shortcomings. There are plenty of shortcomings inside this film and I don't think it's necessarily from the kids I think it's of a lot of the stuff going on around it some of the you know supporting characters the plot is very basic I mean essentially it's a goal to try to figure out how to kiss and then it becomes like a Ferris Bueller's day off we have to get this thing back and it's fun it's definitely absurd it's smart in some areas maybe not enough and I will say the way that it's shot is very generic the editing is not that great either. Some of the jokes go on too long, and I think that's where the director should have made a stronger hand and say, oh, we got to cut here, or we need to make sure to edit and make this tighter so it flows better. But you get what you're looking for. You got this trio of foul-mouthed sixth graders, and they play amazingly great off of one another. Like, yo, definitely Keith L. Williams Lucas, he steals the show. That high-pitched squeal, he's constantly narking on himself and just his timing for, oh my gosh. You can suck a dick, you can suck a dick. What am I going to do, just sit here? <laughs> Yo, it's so good. But it's so strong. I definitely recommend it go out. Actually, I need to watch this for a second time. Like, yo, simple plot, vulgar humor, strong cast, good time in the movies. And that's what you're here for. Kobe Tommy rating for Good Boys is a 7 out of 10. Angry Birds, also a 7 out of 10. Blinded by the Light, 7 out of 10. Bernadette, 7 out of 10. Sex Tuplets, 5 out of 10. And 47 meters down, the worst of the year is a 3 out of 10. Ugh. Ugh, God, I hate... I hate ending on reviews.
lose on that note, but 47 meters down is just bad. Ugh. And like, yo, I'm a defender of all movies. I don't mind a good, bad movie, but this is a bad movie trying to be good and it's just flat out bad. You know what sucks is that I probably sold it in such a way that you want to see it now. And that's, <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> But you know what is good? There's a lot of, there's, of course, we got more movies that are dumping this weekend, and I got a chance to check out one. You got Ready or Not, Smar Weaving, Angel is Fallen with Gerard Butler, Overcomer, this new faith-based movie coming out. Loose is opening up here in Atlanta, which I'm really excited about that. Olivia Spencer, Naomi Watts, Tim Roth. You got Britney Runs a Marathon, Jillian Bell. So I got another really meaty week to be able to get to um, that I'm really excited for. Hope you guys can be able to just follow along with the journey, interact with me. I also have a big podcast announcement for y'all next week. Um, I'm really excited for it. I think it's going to change a couple of things. And um, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Of course, as always, you can visit my website for all of my written content at kobetomi.com. You can listen to me co-hosting with my crew at the Minority Report Podcast. You can make sure to follow all of our crazy commentary at Pod on Twitter and Insta. You can also be on the lookout in 2020 for the Stream Team Podcast. You can go ahead and follow the account now at the Stream Team 6 on Twitter. I'm looking to assemble the dream team of podcasting. It's a, a team of dope streamers that are curating what's hot and what's not in all the streaming services so we can make sense of this crazy world with more content that we can handle. Your Disney and Hulu and Netflix and Amazon Prime and Shudder and Disney Plus and CBS All Access, oh my. <laughs> and hopefully this pod will give you a little bit of help along the way. And always remember, when they ask you where you heard it from, tell them Kobe told me. Peace.